0: You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I hope wherever you are in the world and whatever you're doing, you are doing very well. You're about to hear from a legend, Mr. Al Anderson. He's the guitarist for Bob Marley, and nowadays he's in the original Whalers. On the eve of the chat, they were looking forward to their Australian tour, which occurred through December of 2017. So why don't we go and have a listen to what Al has to say. Here we go. All right, mate. So you guys, you're coming down as in the original Whalers. You're coming down to Australia through November and December, tell us all about the show that you're bringing.
1: Well, your promoters and the fans have requested that we play the songs of the Legend album, and I'm willing to do that for the fans. I'm willing to do that for anyone, but as an artist, as a singer, songwriter, and producer, it can get a little crafty when you've got your own songs. We got a Grammy nomination for the Miracle album 2013 mm-hmm. from the 55th Academy of Archie. And our singer songwriter, Chet Samuel, has his own album called Say My Name, which you can stream. And in the past, like from working with the Whalers, the Whalers, it was always a tribute to yourself. And I didn't want to do that. That's why I formed the original whalers so that I could get singing and natural songwriting talent without imitating Peter Bob and Bunny's music.
2: Mm-hmm. And I've
1: been able to do that. But the thing with touring Australia and New Zealand, these are the places that made it happen for the whalers. It mm-hmm. wasn't America and it wasn't England. The Lyceum was 1,700 people. And Babylon by bus, it was 3,000 people. It was an arousing crowd, a lot of noise being made, it was great music. But when we got to New Zealand and Australia, Australia New Zealand, 80,000 people. We sold three tractor trailers of merchandise. We're selling millions of dollars. Hmm. That's when it started happening. So when we get to Australia... People want to feel Bob. They don't want to feel me. They're happy to see me playing The Woman No Cry and Roadblock and all that. And mm-hmm. The songs affecting whatever they want to sing. But they want to feel and sing along to the songs that they are familiar with. And wholeheartedly, a lot of times when we perform, we play our own songs. We play the Say My Name album. We play the songs from Miracle. Mm -hmm. People don't know their work. They're like, what is this? But when we play No Woman, No Cry, the whole crowd is involved. So a lot of doing the Legend album in its entirety isn't what we do. But we'll do anything to please our fans worldwide. And at the same time, if we get the opportunity to play our own material it's just as important as playing the material Bob Marley and the Whalers. Because people that never got a chance to see Bob want to feel like they see something quite familiar to what they've never seen. Yeah, I've seen the videos, I've heard the records, but now I'm seeing these guys, and it sounds like the group. And the singer-songwriter that has his own material that I work with. His name is Chet Samuel. And when I was working with the whalers, not, my group is the original whalers, not to get it yeah. confused. When I worked with uh, the whalers, we always had a guy imitating Bob like a bad Elvis impersonator, which made me exceptionally angry.
0: Hmm, okay.
1: And that's the reason why I started with the whalers, so I could get away from all of that being a tribute to yourself, which we are not. But if we have Mm -hmm. to play the legend album to make fans happy, I'm willing to do that.
0: Yeah, gotcha. I mean, there are so many classic cuts that you yourself have been associated (laughs) with over the years. And, look, Bob is definitely a revered icon. But, mate, here's a bit of a different question for you. How do you personally remember him? Is the public iconography of Bob is it similar to the way he was as a bandmate and I take it also as a friend?
1: My relationship with Bob was work. I was in the studio every single day. I, was, I lived at his mother's house in Delaware where we just sat and played. He had... He was... Bob was incredible because you're, you're like... I'm, I was sleeping on the sofa... And I slept on the floor at Hope Road for a year and a half before they released the Not to Dread album. But in that time of a year and a half of sleeping on the floor and him being there all the time and me being with him all the time, all he did was write songs. So every single day, every minute that I was with him, because I wasn't a good footballer, he was great. ready. <laughs> it was all about the... He was writing songs, and like when I heard him... Like, we had, when he wrote Roots, and I played that song live in the studio and didn't know anything I was doing. And I was like, this guy's amazing. And so I had the same relationship with him as I did with Peter Tosh. Our friendship was second. His songwriting and me sitting with an acoustic guitar adding my part to help build his track it's all we did every single day and day out. And then it got to where it was like a massive muscle hmm. that anytime it reflects there, there was strength. And he had the, he had the most amazing drummer, Carlton Ballard. I mean, forget it. Guy was, he was a God. And it's just unbelievable. I mean, the band was, I just felt, uh, lucky to be able to have anything to do with that level of songwriting between people. I didn't really know Bunny Whaler. I saw him and talked with him, and I was going to play on the Black Heart Man record, which was one of his greatest. Mm -hmm. But he had a better guitarist. Earl Chinner Smith was way above my level, because I was just learning the music during those days. You know, I was coming from a jazz rock background. And yep. I was kind of like, wow, I'll do this and that, but it, it doesn't work. No. And so I had to learn that blues works way better. And then I was able to achieve that from the Not to Dread album, which, which I got really lucky because the guitarist of choice was the lead guitarist to free.
0: Paul hmm. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Black folk folk.
1: Yeah, you had a great touch whether he played loud or softer, He was just an amazing guitar player. And, and he had the most incredible guitar collection, and, and we were friends. I met him at the Fillmore East in the early 70s, and we stayed in touch, and I met Traffic. And, and when I got over to England, these are the guys who put me up, you know, gave me chugs of beer and joints and, <laughs> and introduced me to Island Records, cool. really. And I got to meet Chris and see how it worked. So they basically asked Paul to come and play the Nazi Dread album. He was in bad health, and I substituted for him, and I got
0: lucky, and I got the job. That's how it happened. So, look, you've touched on something that I think is really important, because I feel as though you're a tremendously underrated guitarist, and you are a tremendous musician, and you've performed with many notable acts, too many to mention, but you mentioned a name early on, and that's Peter Tosh, and you were the guitarist and the legendary Legalize It, so... What was the recording session like through working with Peter on that album?
1: It was completely different from working with Bob. It was like, just, you know, they weren't the same. They were just not the same person. Bob would have like 400 people in the studio while we were recording. Doing this and that, cooking and rolling and smashing and cramming. And Peter was a lone wolf.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, it was like a one-on-one thing. And Bob's magic was, was having all these people around him. And that's where he got all his energy from. Peter was more integral and more of an introvert than an extrovert with his musical songwriting. Hmm. And I spent hours with him, hours, hours and hours. And legalize it was just like, oh, wow dude, you're on to something. And I just wanted you know, then when Robbie and Sly came in for the Equal Rights album, mm-hmm. wow. It was heavy. I just felt like if I keep recording with artists like these guys, I'm gonna get somewhere. <laughs> they have the song. <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> they had it all they had the they had the song. It was just amazing. Uh, it's it's probably the you know, I, I worked with Lauren Hill uh, yeah, I, I read that. was really cool, but she she was really heavy as a as, as a lead as a as, as the queen of the group. She was yeah. It was compli- It was too complicated for me. I felt crushed half the time because I had it, it was too strange for me. It, it was great because she she's wonderful and an amazing artist. But mm. there was there's so much going on in the artist's head, how they relate with who they work with. But the way it it was completely different. You know, you got into the songwriter's head. You spent a hell of a lot of time with them. You knew exactly what they wanted and they got it without any compromise. And, and people started to love, I mean, put it this way. If I hadn't met like these lads, I'd probably be working for the guitar center or cutting cheese or <laughs> some McDonald's or something maybe. Hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. there's, there's too many great musicians that didn't get the opportunity and I felt less than lucky to have anything to do with it. Because when I got to England, it was Desmond Decker, Delroy Wilson, Dennis Brown, and Bob Andy and guys like uh, Prince Buster. These are the guys that were on um, English pop, you know, the, the BBC, and yep. Bob was on the underground pirate stations, and I didn't know anything about that because, you know, I learned Sky from Madness. Uh, just look at my mm, book, cool.
2: yeah. I heard
1: Madness. I was like, what? And but the Sky are the original owners of the title, but I didn't know who they were in 1973. Reggae here, madness later on, and all these you know groups like the Clash who were playing reggae and UB40 with Ollie and you know the yeah. lads. And these I was like, wow, that, that's reggae music until you know I could understand that. Oh, that's John Holt, that's Desmond Dekker, that's Prince Buster, that's. Were, I didn't know who they were, but I did meet Dennis Brown, and he was completely different. He He was like a soul singer. He he was like Marvin Gaye. He had that incredible voice. And he was all over the radio as a 16-year-old kid. And he was selling more records and more popular than Bob Marley in 1972 when I got to England. So my education was a little bit mixed up. By 1974 is when I had my whaler's experience. But before that, I was working in a jazz rock highlight group with Remy Kabaka. That was being produced by Chris Blackwell, and before that, I worked with Richard Branson and Oswald with Ike sus with Delroy Washington, mm-hmm. and I went from Virgin, my first record company to have anything to do with recording or record royalties or being signed to a label, to from Virgin to Island. I left Virgin on hmm. and went to Island, and that's when it started to really. You know, the flag was raised, and a whole bunch of people were rallying around the Whaler Sound. And it was just after Peter, Bobby and Bonnie split. And then during 77 and 78, Bob's popularity had become overwhelming for me. There was bad management, dangerous people. He was getting politicians elected. Hmm. He was very really risque in terms of himself. He should have looked after himself But what I love about Bob, he sacrificed himself for his family, his country, and his belief. That's Uh what he gets. He's way more important to me than any pop star that I've ever had anything to do with. And the same with Peter Tosh. He was assassinated because of his views. He's outspoken. They're amazing. They're they're amazing. You know, no one can... You know, it it wasn't like being with the Motown. It wasn't like being with Hendrix or... The Stones area, it wasn't like that at all. It was completely different. It was a different mindset, socially, and behavior with the religion and the herb and, you know, yeah. their views. And that, that was first. And the music kind of came second.
0: So your music was my. Sorry, you go, mate. You're all
1: right. Regards to whatever was going on politically or religiously,
0: Yep. all
1: I did was I I slept on a sofa at Miss Booker's house, Bob's mother's house, and we played guitar all day when he came home from work. Hmm. When I got to Jamaica, uh, uh, the first couple of months was weird because I was trying to fit in and I didn't have a place to stay. And for the first year and a half, I literally slept on Hope Road floor. Like when they do the tours, when people come from all over the world, we said, oh, see, this part of the whole <laughs> <Road laughs> studio, Alex, Al Anderson was asleep here. And I slept on the floor for a year and a half. Just saw so, because Bob didn't have anything that I thought he had when I was in England. He didn't have the money. He couldn't afford to put me in a hotel, give me a car, give me a program. So I wanted to live like Steve growing up. And I did. Hmm. And I don't let one minute of it today.
0: That's a remarkable insight into Bob and, and Peter too, mate. I, want, I really appreciate that. And, you know, you you have worked, and I understand you're, you're a bass player as well, so correct me if I'm wrong there, but you've worked with who I feel, I'm a bass player and guitarist myself as well, so we've got that in common. But one of the most identifiable bass players that I think you've worked with is, Ashton, is Aston Barrett. So, mate, what was it like working with him? Did you guys actually sit down in an academic sense and work out what you are going to play to Bob's parts, or did you more just jam it out?
1: He was amazing. Um, the bass player was incredible. The being was complicated. Hmm. His brother was a completely, completely different animal.
0: Yeah, you mentioned His him. Brother drummer, was
1: Yeah,
0: was a. The guy was
1: a god. He would finish. He never had the overdone. Never. Like, I'd be, in, uh, you know, we'd be, we'd be doing a track, and I'm going, like, oh, I'm doing this, and I'm going to play that, and I didn't play it right, and I made mean, a little bit. You know, you could hide it, but I would go in and brush it up. He would finish first and be the first leave, and I had to stay and get it perfect, because we did live tracking. It was like, Bob, sing a song live in the studio, and we would accompany him. Sometimes it was like, boom, and sometimes, oh, I fucked up the outro. So I'll go back and just touch it up. But he, never. And family man, hardly ever. He did a lot of over... Sometimes he'd come back in that same say, I didn't like that. And he over double Carly. Oh, my God. He was like, I not like it, man. It's like mm. Jeff the There's nothing like it. Nothing like that. Maybe live Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned something well, earlier in the chat about... Was another- Sorry, you're right.
1: Fly Dunbar and Robin Flyers is, is another. Uh, when, I, when I joined the uh, 1977, 78, Bob was getting politicians elected. And he's yep. got a huge, he's got money, he's got all the time. And for me, it was, there's too much going on. That music, it wasn't about the music anymore. It was about money and popularity yep. and a lot of politics which I couldn't get myself involved in because it caused him to get attempt assassinations.
0: Jesus, Political yeah. leaders wanted him to
1: help it, it. It became crazy. And then Peter Tosh was a lone wolf. And so we became... When I first came to Jamaica, he hated my guts because he thought I was breaking up the group. Like, I was the chosen guy to come and do Bob's music and not him anymore. Hmm. So it was... It was hell. But then when he realized when I told him that I was there to play with the three of them and that I wasn't interested in any one career, we became very close. And so I was 77 78, and 78 came. He asked me to join his group. He gave me royalties, which I still get today. And I don't get from the state. Yeah. Right. Okay. And I honor, I honor, I honor Peter. Somebody in my career was, uh, careful. Mm-hmm. And uh, gracious to keep me working with him as long as I possibly could. When the Stones, I introduced him to the Rolling Stones and the lawyers, and put it all together for him to be on Rolling Stones records and leave CBS. Mm-hmm. And it, it started to get a little. Out of, and I wanted just I just wanted to be mellow and just ease into recording. And yeah, be a musician. Too many yeah. people and. Yeah, it was too much for me because I am, my subjectivity and my objectivity is not self. I'm able to, my whole life is a void and I, I am non confrontational. Uh, a lot of musicians in Kingston are very confrontational, very competitive.
0: Hmm. And so it,
1: it got funny it, it started spinning up. And so I decided to leave Molly, work with Tosh. And then it started getting crazy with Tosh, to leave Tosh and go back to (laughs) Marlin in the last two, three years. Yeah. And it was just a a whirlwind of music. You know, it was like a hurricane every day between recording, touring, uh, social environment. It was heavy. and few people could have put up with it, but I had to because I felt I was homeless and um, I needed... To be in Jamaica, going through all that, because I didn't want to be in America or anywhere, or England, or anywhere else. I needed to be right there in Jamaica, enduring what the musicians and artists and songwriters were were going through, and I think I got hmm. exactly what I needed to rise to play.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hey, just. Big... You mentioned you mentioned something earlier there about uh the royalties I'm certainly not not inquiring about the royalty side of things but you were the guitarist on the track No Woman No Cry weren't you because that's on the album that you worked on
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's it. Did you did you come up with any part of the um the guitar parts there? Is it, are you responsible for any of the songwriting? I wrote every,
1: I wrote every guitar line. That I played with Marley Antosh. I was never told, and produced. I was producing for them at
0: that time. Fantastic! Wow, mate. I've played "No Woman, No Cry" many times for I'm in covers bands, and it gets such a fantastic <laughs> response. So, congratulations on writing one of the world's most iconic tunes.
1: Thank you. Um, people seem to really like that song. I don't like to play it because, like I, I've had conversations with Clapton. And he's also said that he refuses to play Sunshine and Love Notes for note. And after a while, it's going to get on your ass. And he's absolutely correct. Sometimes you just don't want to. But there's so many fans that want it. And that's the thing with the Wailers music. People want to sing Three Little Birds. They don't want to hear my Miracle album. They don't want to hear the songs that I produced and, uh, and worked on, put everything into. They want to hear what they're familiar with. Yeah. So is that wrong? No, it's not but we're not a tribute to ourselves like the other bands, like the other whales. We, we have easily 30 original songs to play at any time. But if we played them, would the audience respond to them? No. Because they're unfamiliar. They want to be familiarized and feel like Bob is there. But the greatest thing about our singer and songwriter is not like the other ones. The other ones in the Whalers want to be Bob. This guy wants to be himself. Because he has an R&B soul voice,
2: mm-hmm. and if
1: you have to stream and Google Google Chet Samuel, C H E T S A M U E L, and you'll hear some of the greatest reggae singing in the business.
0: Samuel, okay, good. Like gotcha. Gary Hammond, or any
1: of. Yeah, I mean, this guy's had it. He's got it, and he doesn't act like Bob. And nobody wants bad Elvis impersonator. If you're going to see Elvis impersonator, you're going to see the real, wow, that's Elvis. Hmm. And it's not. So I don't want that. That's that's not what I want. I want a guy to be who he is, sing his songs, and if we're going to honour the Whaler
0: stuff, let's do it right for
1: the people. Let's do
0: it real. No, agreed, mate. Yeah. And that's why I
1: put together
0: Yeah, fantastic. Well, mate, it's been fantastic having a chat to you. I'll not likely be in the crowd at the Gold Coast gig when you're playing in Queensland. So, Mate, I just want to offer you a sincere and heartfelt congratulations. No, you know, on your on, career.
1: No, no, come, come on up, and I'll give you uh, the songs,
0: the original stuff that we, you know we're, we did, and so
1: you can hear the difference and hear the similarities of where our direction is going with our original songwriting, mm-hmm. and it's not a copy of it's just the the vitamins and the amino acids of the original iconic figure. Mm-hmm. That was, putting it that, you know that yeah that, that influenced me to do what i 'm doing today,, yeah. and so you can hear the similarities and' we're lyrically and harmoniously where we 're headed in our future,
0: yeah, cool mate, well. Mate, safe travels uh, to come down here, mate, and uh, you will be received very well. There's a lot of people that are looking forward to the shows. As you know, mate, there's a lot of extra shows that were put on and requested, such was the demand for the shows that were originally scheduled. So, yeah, you've certainly got a fan base down here, just to echo your sentiments about, you know, the reception that you got back in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, uh, Hey,
1: I'm ready, and I'm looking forward to seeing all our. Of- uh, new fans and friends and all our family of people that have come and supported us and supported rugby music for the years. Uh, Australia and New Zealand is some of our favorite territory to play, especially when it 's freezing cold and as you 've noticed, our political social environment isn't doing as well as yours is right now, so hmm. right on for that Indeed, for mate. everybody there.
0: makes you try and move down here i 'm sure there'd be many people willing to sponsor you. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, not only that, you got too much good beer, man. I wouldn't get anything done.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with that point, <laughs> mate. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I uh, wish you all the very best, and I'll certainly be in the audience.
1: Yeah, yeah make sure you come up and uh, make make yourself noticeable because I, I I want you to do some of the. The stuff we're doing. Really. Please. Yeah
0: I will. Yeah, my name's Andrew. I'll you now I'll introduce myself then, but now, you know, my name's Andrew Mackay Smith and um yeah, it'll be great. Yeah, I'll just introduce myself mate and it'd be good to continue the chat.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All the best to you and uh keep your lips on and, and keep that guitar and bass pumping man. Don't give up. Are you doing rock and roll, jazz, weather?
0: Doing, um, I'm playing covers at the moment because it's what I do to earn earn a living. So I play about two or three times a week, um, playing um, anything from, well, Bob Marley songs to um, Linda Ronstadt through to Fleetwood Mac, that sort of stuff. So we play um, in like right. um, yeah. big bars yeah. and clubs.
1: What you're basically saying is you're a real musician and I get it. Totally, because it's exactly what I had to do. And that's yeah. what we got to do.
0: No, thank you, mate. Thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me that you've said that, actually. Yeah, I mean, I do try. It's it's very hard to do original music in Australia there for a long time, and you can do it, but there's not a, you know, it's very hard to sort of earn money from it is what I'm saying, and I've got two kids and a wife, mate, so the money's got to keep on coming in.
1: Man, bless you, man. It's all going to happen for you. It's just that it takes takes a minute. It'll happen. you you got to be in it to win it, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you do. No, you're not wrong about that, yeah. Cool. All right, mate. Thanks so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for your time. Definitely oh. appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, Al. Cheers. Cheers. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I host Scars and Guitars, the podcast series. That was my conversation with the legendary Al Anderson. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation, and thank you so much for listening.